Hey, welcome to Bruce Culture. I'm your host, Evan Schwab. I own the gaming site Big Cultures, and I'm an aspiring Cicero. I'm here to help you pair quality craft beers with great games in order to maximize your leisure time. We'll talk about some of the best breweries and their histories alongside the ins and outs of games and the gaming industry. So stop in, take a load off, and enjoy excellent brews with us as we explore two of the most profitable business industries. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode number 12 of Brews Culture. I am your host, Evan Schwab. Today we have a pretty good pairing for you today, one that I'm particularly fond of on both the beer and the video game side. But before we get into that, my question for you this week is, what do you define as retro gaming. I've had multiple discussions on this. I've thought about it for a long time. I've done my research, looked through Reddit. Now, this is according to Merriam-Webster. Retro means relating to reviving or being the styles and especially the fashions of the past, fashionably nostalgic or old-fashioned. So what does that mean? Is it games that function... Like games of old. So Chemco releases classically styled retro RPGs all the time. Are those technically retro? For me, no. The answer is no. For me, retro has an age to it. So a game on the Super Nintendo, a game on the Atari, those are retro. But where do we, we or I suppose I, draw the line for retro? Right, because 15 years ago, so what, 06, I don't think I had a, let's, 06, I was still playing my PS2. <laughs> I took, 06, I graduated from high school, so I took my PS1 and my PS2 to college. I remember my roommate skipping class to play Resident Evil 4, which had been out for a few years already. I played a whole bunch of great games in college, but the the point is relevant. In college, I also had, in my freshman year, I believe even, was when the Xbox 360, around that time, it came out, or maybe it had come out before I went to college, and I picked it up at some point after starting college. Either way, those games now, 15 years later, do they count as retro? Now, there's a post on Reddit that said 15 years was retro. Okay. Sure, I can see that. For me, though, I would say the way we number our consoles, I would go back and say, at this point, with the PS5 out, PS2 games, Dreamcast, and GameCube, probably fall under the retro category. And they honestly fit the Merriam-Webster Dictionary as well, as far as breeding nostalgia. There aren't many other games outside of the few I played as a kid growing up on the Super Nintendo that give me as much nostalgia as the PS2 era. But with that said, I mean, with the PS5 coming out, does the PS3 technically fall into the retro genre? The PS3 and the Xbox 360? I don't know. It's a tough question. Because, to me, they don't feel old. But then, if I think about you know, when I was teaching, when I was teaching elementary school, 
heck, even when I was teaching middle school, those kids uh, never played on a PS3 before. So where do we draw the line? That's my question. I think it's a fun topic to debate. I'm a big fan of retro games in general. Big fan of the Super Nintendo in particular and the PS1 in particular. But let me know. Let me know your thoughts. It's an interesting conversation. I don't think anyone is necessarily right or wrong, but I think it's just fun to debate. Now, with that said, for whatever reason, PS3 games in particular have skyrocketed in the secondhand retail price. (coughs) So, I don't know, you might even say a few months ago, you could roll online and find a PS3 game of your choosing for a relatively inexpensive price. You know, you might pay 20 bucks, you might pay 30 bucks, whatever. Nothing even close to the original $60 price tag. Now, the theory out on this is that a lot of the older PS3, especially the exclusives, since the PS5 is not backwards compatible, these games are now old and rare. So we've seen games like Folklore, a Sony exclusive uh, first party, Sony Interactive Entertainment, Folklore go for they're it's selling for 125 bucks now online. So I got mine in I don't know, let's see, I got a PS3 I think in 2008 or 2009 when I was a junior in college and my Xbox had died from the red ring of death and I invested in a PS3. I had always wanted one anyway but couldn't afford it and finally had some extra income from the job I was working. But I got that game. It was one of the first games I got for the PS3, and I paid maybe $30, $35 for it. So now it's going used, going for $100, $125. I think I've seen it up to $135 for a used copy of Folklore. Likewise, 3D Dot Game Heroes from, from Software, the people behind Armored Core and the Demon Souls, Dark Souls, Souls-like genre, for whatever reason, just the other day started selling for well over $100 as well. Now, I've had games like Zelda, The Twilight Princess, the remaster on the Wii U, collector's edition version is, you know, close to 200 250 maybe 190 depending on where you're looking and if you can find a good price. That one I kind of get. The Wii U was a more or less dead-on-arrival console. And there are very few games released for it. And I think, much like the Sega Saturn, the Wii U, and I could be wrong on this, but it feels like a lot of the games were not particularly distributed. You know, there, there was a, a lower amount just because the system itself failed. And I think Nintendo knew that early on. They really hopped on the Nintendo Switch pretty quickly after the Wii U launched. It's a shame. I enjoyed the Wii U. I enjoyed the few games for it. I mean, I I bought it for Xenoblade Chronicles X, and I wasn't disappointed. Got a few other solid RPGs like Tokyo Mirage Sessions and and Twilight Princess, for example. But that Zelda game I get. Zelda's popular, and a limited Zelda release would obviously probably be worth something. The PS3 still doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, and I, I went through a bunch of games, and a lot of them are still relatively inexpensive. But I, I even rolled through, like, old versions of the show, and they're starting, at least it appears to me, that they're starting to increase in price. 
And those are sports sims. And sports sims depreciate like the day you buy them. You know, you could trade Madden in at a GameStop for like 25 cents. But for whatever reason, MLB The Show 10 is like $20, 25 bucks on eBay or Mercari. And that is a bit unsettling as I was trying to sell my collection of the show uh, four or five games as a bundle for like $30. So that has since been deactivated, and I will see where these prices go. But if you own PS3 games, you know, go through your stuff and see what's worth what, because if you're looking to make a quick buck, you might be in business. And honestly, if you do follow used game sales, you know, I'm a big fan of, of retro gaming, as I said earlier. I'm a huge fan of filling out my collection, and at one point in my life, if I'm ever successful, I would like to have a library full of just about every RPG that existed. So when I find a good deal or when I find a really good condition of a game, I will splurge if I'm able to. And I've built up a pretty solid collection of PS1 RPGs, and and the Vita and PSP are, are filling out as well. Fortunately, I had purchased most of the games that I had wanted for the DS because those are starting to increase as well. The reason I bring this up is that I had seen games, you know, I bought games from, I don't know, I think I bought um, Brigandine, which is a strategy RPG on the PS1. I think I got it for, I think I paid a little bit more than what it was probably worth originally. I paid about $70 for it many years ago, used, of course. And now it's well over 100 bucks. Vanguard Bandits. I got a good deal. I think I paid 70 or 80 for it. It's worth over 100. So recently, games, retro games in particular, have skyrocketed in price. So the reason I bring that up in addition to the PS3 is because those games, there will always be, I think, a push for these physical copies of games, especially the older they get, the harder they are to find all of the above, you know, it's an interesting thing to, to keep an eye on. And if you own them, you know, and you're not particularly attached to them or you don't really want a huge collection now or in the near future might be the time to sell them. So our beer pairing for today has very little to do with our opening here, but we're talking about good games and I think we've got a very good game. One of my favorite from the past year mixed with just a quality brewery. And that brewery would be the Southern Tier Brewing Company, based in Lakewood, New York. And they make a collection of beers you've probably seen just about anywhere. They've been in my local grocery store for as far as I remember. Make solid IPAs, typically plain titles, but that's neither here nor there. But the one we're going to choose for today is a blonde ale called Eight Days a Week. And it is boldly declared on the can that they are infinitely drinkable, which might be true. At 4.8%, they're not too heavy. They are a pretty little golden coloration. It's a very smooth blonde ale, something that I think most casual beer drinkers would enjoy and something that more experienced beer drinkers could appreciate. So it has a scent of grains or bread, very thin mouthfeel, 
maybe a little bit of zest. It is a very light tasting beer. If I had had this blind, I might have thought that it was just a run-of-the-mill lager. Not run-of-the-mill. That makes it sound a little average. It's just better than average. But it sits with a with an 81% on Beer Advocate, which puts it in the good range. I think it's a beer that, based on what I've seen in Beer Advocate reviews, that people either enjoy or hate. For me, I'm always a fan of lighter-tasting beers, particularly on warm summer or warm spring days, really just warm days in general. Or a good beer like this, would be it would be good for watching a baseball game, what have you. Eight days a week, obviously, is a reference to how easy it is to drink. And it is pretty easy to drink. It's pretty good. You know, it might not be life-changing to anyone, but it certainly is a beer that I would consider buying again. Now, if you know anything about Southern Tier... You know that they have a history of making excellent beers and pretty good holiday beers. And eight days a week kind of falls in that category of, of just solid beers. It's not their best. For me, it's not their worst. But it is. It is very drinkable. As they say, infinitely drinkable. I don't know about that, but it's pretty good. And the game that it is paired with which is Genshin Impact, is also playable eight days a week. Now, Genshin Impact, as far as pairing similar levels of beer with, you know, similar levels of game, Genshin Impact, you either love it or hate it, right? So when Genshin Impact was originally announced, uh, developed by Miyoho, excuse me, Genshin Impact was either thought to be pretty cool looking or people hated it because it looked a lot like Breath of the Wild. I get the comparisons, but Breath of the Wild looks like Dragon's Dogma. So if we're going to go down that path, it's a bumpy road, a slippery slope. Um, but that's neither here nor there. People either loved it or hated it. And and the, the same goes for it now. It's been around for a few months now. Took home a lot of awards for 2020. You know, I think it won Best Mobile Game. It's actually a game that you can play on just about any platform. PS5 version of Genshin Impact will be releasing soon. I believe the Xbox Series 1 S and X is already out. I could be mistaken. If it's not out now, it will be out very soon. PS4 version is playable on the PS5, and it is noticeably better on the PS5. But the PS5 version is supposed to limit load times and all that good stuff and hopefully make it look a little bit more smoother than it already does. I have no complaints about how it runs now on my PS5, but I am excited about the PS5 version. So Genshin Impact is a very anime-style aesthetic. Um, it all looks hand-drawn. It's very, it is very similar aesthetically to Breath of the Wild. And then there are a few gameplay mechanics, like the ability to climb any surface, the gliding mechanic but that's about where it ends outside of the visuals and a few of the game in-game mechanics because Genshin Impact at its heart is an open world RPG but it is buried within a gotcha system that people 
again, either really, really hate or they're all right with. Me, personally, I'm okay with. Maybe it's because I've been lucky. I've pulled a few of the rarest characters on sheer luck. But for those of you unfamiliar with what a gotcha game is, so in Genshin Impact in particular, you have in-game currency. You have a a number of in-game currencies. You have Prima Gems, you have Crystals, and you have Mora. Mora you can get anywhere. It's just like your in-game money that you use to buy just about anything. Prima Gems are used to summon, well, to draw characters or weapons, or both. If you save enough of them, you can pull 10 at a time, and if you pull 10 at a time, you're guaranteed a 4-star rare item or above, which is nice. You technically don't have to pay any money to get Prima Gems. Every month, you probably set, so you're guaranteed no less than 60 a day. So 60 a day times about 30 is, what, 1800 a month? So you're guaranteed at least 10 pulls a month, which isn't necessarily going to get you what you want. I believe the statistics are 100 pulls guarantee a 5-star, 200 pulls guarantee the 5-star, that is the um, the highlighted character. So every, every like month or so, Genshin will switch out whatever rare character is up with a different one. So 200 pulls, and I could be wrong, and this could be adjusted by by the time I'm saying this, but 200 pulls will get you the guaranteed character. Now, obviously, 200 pulls is 20 pulls of 10, of course. So that's like 20 months. That's a lot of saving if you don't plan on using any money. Now, obviously, there are an absurd amount of ways to make extra Prima Gems, and if you, I think it's like five bucks a month, we'll get you 90 a day for 30 days. So there are cheaper ways to get it. But if you don't want to pay anything for it, it is in fact possible for you to draw without paying anything. I had, by sheer luck, drawn D. Luke and Albedo, who were, well, D. Luke is one of the most, I believe, one of the rarest characters to find. And then Albedo was one of the new characters introduced, who's a five star. And I was able to get him, actually, I was able to get him the same month that I got Diluke. And then soon after that, when Xiao was the character to summon, I think I got him within three or four pulls. So it is certainly possible to get yourself five-star characters, the, the best characters in the game, without spending any money. But I have also been trying to get Child this uh, cycle and have drawn just about garbage. So... It's a tough system. Uh, fortunately, there are free characters. There are characters easily obtained. And if you're trying to get these higher-ranked characters, you will come across a bunch of four-star characters that are solid in their own right. And are very everything in the game is doable with any of the characters that you are able to get for free. So th- that is the one thing I do like about Genshin Impact is that nothing is required to buy at least for the casual gamer for sure. And I feel like I put a lot of time in Genshin. I do stream it every once in a while if you do want to to check out the gameplay. But as far as I can tell, there's no need to pay for anything. Now you can pay for stuff if you want to, but you're going to end up spending a lot of money trying to get the characters you want. So take that into consideration before you start dropping money on Genshin Impact. 
the story behind Genshin is you and your sibling are separated and sent to this world, um, and you're trying to find your sibling. Now, I say sibling because you can choose if you want to be the brother or the sister of the group, and <clears throat> you become an honorable knight of Mondstadt, the Knights of Favonius, and you do a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> to, to make it to make it short and sweet. You start out by helping the god of Mondstadt eliminate the storm terror dragon who has been corrupted. And then you, you obviously, you move on from there. You, you travel down to Liwa and you try to figure out who murdered Rex Lapis. And there's a huge sprawling story that comes with this. And there are events that are updated continuously. You have daily login missions that you can do every day. There's just a plethora of things to do. Combat is super layered. There's so much to work with. Every character has combinations with other characters, with other elements, and building your perfect team that deals the biggest damage output is a lot of fun. And the game itself, it's a lot of fun. I play it eight days a week. I go on, assuming I have the time, um, but I go on just about every day to at least get my dailies done if I have spare time. And... It's, it's it's always enjoyable. You know, even the, the dailies that repeat often still provide, you know, different approaches if you, if you want to take different strategies into combat. But it's a great overall experience. It's action-oriented. You carry a party of four at any given time, so you switch between those characters and you can build elemental combos off of each other and increase your damage output. You fight epic creatures, you know, big, small, whatever. It's just a solid experience from seemingly out of nowhere. I mean, people were looking forward to it, and then there were people who were hating on it, and people still hate on it, people still love it. But definitely wasn't one that I thought would be as good as it is. And then I was very hopeful for Genshin Impact that it would be a solid game. When I learned that it would be free to play in mobile also, my hopes were a little bit shattered because typically mobile games aren't great and free games are usually not usually, but they're often paid to win. Genshin Impact isn't like that, fortunately. And you know, honestly, I had high expectations going into 8 days a week and I wasn't wasn't really let down. It's a beer that I know that I enjoy, something that I can drink pretty often. Something I can enjoy while watching a baseball game or even playing a video game. The two go together well. They're both smooth, solid experiences, very enjoyable, pretty memorable, and, and something that I definitely want to go back to. You know, I, I want to drink in eight days a week while having dinner or watching a game. I want to go on and log in and at least do my dailies in Genshin Impact you know, on a daily basis there, as, as assuming I can. Yeah, so those are our terrific game and beer pairing for today. I hope you give each a shot. The great thing about Genshin Impact is that it is free. So if you don't want to, you know, risk spending money on a game that I've spoken about in the past, Genshin Impact is free. And you don't have to pay a penny for anything. You can if you want to, but you absolutely do not have to. Likewise, eight days a week is very good. You do have to pay for that one. But it is worth your money. It's only about, I think it was like 12 bucks for 
Honestly, I don't remember how many were in there, but it was more than six. So it was a solid price for a pretty solid beer. Would highly recommend it. We will, of course, be playing Genshin Impact with eight days a week this Friday for our beer pairing. So please feel free to join us at twitch.tv backslash bitcultures. We hit our new subscription goal there. So you can unlock yourself a new emote along with a bunch of other goodies that we have on our Twitch stream if you choose to subscribe. If not, that's cool. Just come on hang out with us. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, all at BitCultures. You know, come hang out with us. Come uh, watch our content. Feel free to chat when you've, got a ch- when you've got a chance. We've got a Discord popping up here soon, and we hope to see you there. So thanks again, as always, for listening to this podcast, and I will see you next week.